athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Happy New Year. It's our first show of 2023. Hope you had an absolutely wonderful holiday and hope you enjoyed our 2022 year-end review shows over the last couple of weeks. So much to get into today, uh, especially beginning 2023. And I I, I mean, I got to say, I mean, the biggest story, obviously, of the week, DeMar Hamlin and and what happened to DeMar Hamlin in the Bills and Bengals game. I mean, I was, I'll tell you, when Thursday came around and we got the news that uh, he he asked, one of the first things he asked uh, when he, when he kind of was coming around is who won the football game. I mean, what phenomenal news that he was able to squeeze the hands of the doctors and family members. I mean, it was just wonderful because I'm going to tell you what, Tuesday, it, it just did not look good at all on Tuesday. Very, very grim. Wednesday, a little bit different because we got to start to, we started to receive the reports that um, he, he was, you know, more oxygen was getting to his lungs and those kinds of things. And so, I mean, thank God. Right. Like I didn't see the football game. I've only seen the hit um, once one time. I didn't see the hit because I happened to wake up. I don't know. It's about three o'clock on Tuesday morning and, you know, turn the TV on. And um, that's what was being talked about. And they and thankfully, OK, thankfully, they never replayed the actual hit. Because of, I mean, and if you look at the hit, it, it, it I mean, I'm not going to say it was routine, but you know, it, 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 it wasn't one of those hits that you see that when the guys come and lower the helmets and it's a violent hit, it wasn't one of those kind of hits. And, and so when I was watching the news and uh, the, the reports and everything, I immediately got out of bed and fell to my knees and prayed for this young man and prayed for his family. I mean, think about, what his parents must have been going uh, through. That, again, cardiac arrest, okay, uh, they had to administer CPR. That's not something you see often when you're talking about professional sports, specifically football, and even more specifically in the National Football League. We talk about a number of different things, but rarely do we talk about CPR or cardiac arrest. It's mostly, you know, a lot of times it can be, uh, season ending or even uh, sometimes career ending injuries this was something very very different and so uh 
you know, I, I, we all, you know, it's one of those moments where, and it will be, looking for when you when as we move forward and he continues to get better. I think that's that's the most important thing is that he continues to get better and we continue to get positive news is that people came together for this young man. Okay, he's only 20 think about that. He's only 24 years old. Okay, it's, I mean any age, right? But he's only 20 got his whole life. He hasn't even begun to live. He's not even half of 50. Right now, so he hasn't even began to really live life, and so for really the country, okay, because this was reported by every outlet, not just the sports outlet outlets. It was reported by the news outlets, and it seemed like it's one of those moments, really. That I mean, it's not it's not necessarily a moment that you a moment that you'll never forget, but there's a time. That you'll never forget. You'll never forget the name DeMar Hamlin and how the country, the world, for that matter, really came together. I mean, people I know that don't even know sports, don't even like sports, were talking about this. And it, it is just one of those moments where everybody came together. Everybody uh, was so concerned about this young man and, and, and really praying for him and and prayer works. I mean, it's there's no doubt about that. You can see that prayer works because as of Tuesday, things were very, very grim. It's one thing when, and, and, and even as of Thursday, he was still in critical condition. It's like, it's one thing when they say, okay, you're in critical condition. But it's another thing when it's, uh, you know, when you've had to have, when you've been, been in cardiac arrest and it's been CPR and all of these things. So, I mean, it, it's it, listen, it is uh, it's been great news. We'll continue to monitor, uh, continue to see improvement uh, with respect to DeMar Hamlin. And what a wonderful young man. I mean, I didn't even I didn't know much about him, um, to be honest with you. But all of the great works that he's done throughout the course of his young career, um, the, the great things that he's done in the community, uh, it's just it's just absolutely phenomenal. And it's it's, you know, people just to be able to rally around and uh, rally around him and and pray for him, I think, is was a really, really beautiful thing to see that uh, America really as a whole to kind of come together and rally around DeMar Hamlin. Definitely a beautiful thing. So we can talk some more DeMar Hamlin here uh, on the program. We can talk some college football playoff on Monday the national championship game has been set between Georgia and TCU. And I had a chance. I didn't really, the, that Michigan and TCU game, I didn't really have a chance to watch that game. I had another game that I had to call, a college basketball game um, that I had to call. So I didn't really have a chance to watch that game, but I had a chance to really listen to that game. And I thought that any at any given moment, you, well, <laughs> it was a range of emotions in this game. Because TCU would score and then Michigan threw an interception and then TCU scored again. And it was, and then, you know, TCU was, I mean, Michigan was down by like three scores. And then all of a sudden the Wolverines were back to within five points. And it, when that happened, I'm like, okay, it's just a matter of time that Michigan is going to come back. At least I thought it was. But then I also, I was as I continued to listen, I'm like, even though I didn't see the game, 
I'm like, this Michigan defense is porous because it was like every possession up until the point that Michigan came back to pull to within five, TCU was scoring, TCU was scoring, TCU was scoring. And listen, I got to give a lot of credit to TCU because I came on um, right, I think it may have been, that's right, right before the um, the Big 12 championship game. And I was like, you know, TCU is kind of hanging on by a thread. I didn't think that TCU would make it into the C, the college football playoff. And I believe if USC had won that, that, uh, that Pac-12 championship against Utah, TCU may not have made it into the playoff. I think Ohio State proved that it should have been in the playoff. Remember, Ohio State was the odd man out even before those championship games looking in. But Ohio State certainly uh, certainly proved that it deserved to be in the playoff, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I even had someone uh, uh, kind of call me out on Twitter a little bit because I said, well, I didn't think TCU, I thought TCU was hanging on by threat. They wouldn't get in. TCU did lose that uh, that Big 12 championship game, but in the end made it to the college football playoff and showed why it was a really, really good football team uh, being able to, to defeat Michigan. Okay, so second straight year, uh, Michigan goes out in the first round. We'll see what happens with Jim Harbaugh. I don't think the sky is falling. I think it's been a process for Jim Harbaugh. Now you're to the point where at least you're making the college football playoff. I know Michigan people don't want to hear that. But, I mean, listen, he, they, 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 they were at a point one year where or at one time, not one year, but losing to Ohio State every year. Uh, losing games, remember going back several years ago now to the loss against Michigan State on a, what was it, like a block punt uh, where Michigan was rolling that season. So they've had a lot of downs, but now on the right trajectory. Listen, that's a that's a good TCU football team. Give TCU a lot of credit in that football game, and TCU was able to come out with the victory. That Georgia and... Uh, and Ohio State game was good, and Georgia pulled it out in the end, able to come back. That was a really, really good football game, but again, I think Ohio State showed that it belonged in the college football playoff, and so uh, we've got the national championship game set between TCU and um, uh, Georgia, the defending champions, uh, on Monday, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that, maybe a little bit later on in the program, and of course, we'll talk about that on next week as well we've got a couple of guests lined up for you today here on box to row joining us on the program we're going to talk a little soccer as a matter of fact with the world cup ending on last month and to do so we're going to be joined by alexis nunez host and reporter for espn she's also the host of espn fc she's going to join us on the program, we'll talk Pele's legacy. We'll talk World Cup. Uh, we'll talk a number of different things with Alexis Nunez. Also joining us on today's program, West Virginia State Head Men's Basketball Coach Brian Poor going to join us on the program. Not a lot of people talking about the Yellow Jackets. Ranked number 16 in Division II, 12-1 on the season. Brian Poor got his 400th victory in the championship game victory in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And he's going to join us on the program. Want to say congratulations to Jock Curtis, the head women's basketball coach at Shaw, who got his 400th victory 
of his Shaw career on Wednesday. It was a pleasure to call that game. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-303-3398. 800-303-3398. That's 800-303-3398. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box to Box to Box to Row. Let's keep things moving here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his 24th season as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State. The Yellow Jackets ranked number 16 in the country coming off winning the U.S. Virgin Islands Classic Championship and as a matter of fact this gentleman got his 400th victory of his career. Next up for the Yellow Jackets Saturday on the road at West Virginia Wesleyan. Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach of the Yellow Jackets joins us here on Box to Row. Uh, Coach Poor, congratulations. Happy New Year to you and welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. It's always good to be on your show, and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Absolutely. The 400th victory, and and appropriately, I might add, you get it in the championship game in the Virgin Islands. Now, when I called you to set up this, you know, to set up this this conversation, uh, the first thing I asked you, how were the Virgin Islands? And you just, uh, you you know, you, you, you looked like you were having a lot of fun. And what did it mean to get that 400th victory in the championship game in that classic? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, the only way you could draw it up any better is if, you know, the rest of my family could have, could be there. Um, but I did have my wife and my kids there, my sister and her family, who are great supporters of ours, and my brother and his family who also are uh, weren't, weren't uh, able to travel with us to that one. But, 
uh, outside of that, though, to be in the Virgin Islands and, and to win the championship, which is, you know, what we went over there to do. And uh, we played three straight days. And, and, and so to win it and uh, then on top of that, it's your 400th win. Uh, it's like hitting the lottery. And so uh, we, we had a really, really good time. Yeah, no question about it. And to come away with that uh, is great. I, I want to get your thoughts with the victory that is. But I want to get your thoughts. 12-1 and one on the season, ranked number 16 in the country. Had a really, really good year uh, last year. Um, your thoughts on your team and the way you're playing to this point? Uh, we've really come together nicely. And, um, you know, early on we didn't have two of our top three players, Noah Jordan and Anthony Pittman. Uh, neither one of them were playing the first four games. Uh, Noah had an injury, and, and Pitt had an eligibility issue that he didn't get squared away until second semester. So, you know, not having those two guys in the first uh, four games and then Pitt in the first eight games, you know, I was thinking, you know, six and two in those first eight games would be good. Um, we ended up being eight and oh and uh, found a way to win, just especially our first two games in our classic. We just found a way to win, and, and you know, going into it, it, it made me really nervous and, you know, not having those two guys, but now – Hindsight being 2020, I think it really helped us because it gave other players an opportunity to gain some valuable experience uh, and have to step up to the plate and, and, you know, kind of pick up their roles and even some of our young guys get in there and get in the fire early um, to get some good experience. And that's really developed our depth. And um, we, we're in a situation now where we can play 10 or 11 guys and, and not have much of a drop-off. 400 co- uh, collegiate career wins for Brian Poor in his 24th season as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State as he joins us here on Box to Row. Your nemesis, you you mentioned the the one loss you've had all year was to West Liberty. But, now, I mean, because they've got a really, really good program that have had for many, many, many years. However, when it counted the most last year, you were able to get them in that regional. Uh, just let me take you back to last year a little bit and what that victory meant for your program and to finally get over the hump a little bit against West Liberty. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've got that, um, whatever you want to call it, that stigma and that that mental block and all that. We had them beat at our place. And, um, so, you know, that, that's, uh, that win last year though, I felt like gave us the confidence and, and, um, you know, the mentality that they, you know, we can beat these guys. And so I think it's carried over this year and, uh, we'll see them again at our place here later on down the year. Yeah, Anthony Pittman is really, uh, really good. Has been for you for quite, uh, quite some time now. Let, let's talk a little personnel. We can talk about Pittman, but some other guys as well. Who's really playing well for you at the moment? Ah, shoot! Everybody, right? Well, on the offense, yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I've told him a couple times in the hose. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and I, you know, have put on our on my social media. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really just blessed to be called their coach and. I told him in the hose, hey, man, just keep doing what you're doing because you're fun to watch. Just keep doing what you're doing. But, you know, defensively, I think um, Tavon Horton, who's a grad transfer that came to us, he played his first year at WU uh, as a preferred walk-on. Then he went to a JUCO, and then he went to uh, NAI school called Pikeville and graduated from there. So he's only got one year left. But he's yeah, from all those stops, he's got a lot of experience. Um, he's a tough kid, uh, older kid. Uh, understands, you know, what's going on. He's not one of these freshmen who, you know, wants 15 shots and play every minute and all that. He wants to go out and guard the other guy's best player. And so I think on the defensive side, his mentality and his toughness 
his defensive presence has really, really helped us tremendously. Uh, offensively, uh, now, and he's shooting like 48% from three, too, so it's not like he's just a defensive guy. Uh, he's shooting the ball really well, too. Uh, but another guy that has really stepped up offensively and helped us tremendously is a, a junior college kid that uh, we got. He was playing Juco in Texas, but he's from Philly, a guy by the name of Samir Kinsler. Um, you know, first semester when we were didn't have all of our guys in Pitt, what, and Pitt, what, eligible, and Samir was starting for us and was named player of the week in the conference one week. And then when Pittman gets eligible, I decide that, you know, I want to start with our best defensive lineman. So I'm leaving Tavon Horton in the lineup, and Samir took it like a champ. He said, absolutely, Coach, I understand. He was our leading scorer and was MEC player of the week the second week out of the gate. And now I'm putting him on the bench and bringing him off the bench. And he was totally fine with it. Uh, he is still leading us in scoring. He's shooting the ball extremely well from the outside. Uh, can get He's really quick, too, and can get by his guy and can get to the free throw line. So offensively, he's a guy that has really you know, kind of surprised me a little bit and stepped up and is, is playing really good. I think that's an interesting point that you make because, I mean, there were some lean years for you, Coach Poor, after a lot of success and maybe you had to adapt a little bit and uh, you were able to kind of come back and now you're on this trajectory uh, of, of where you're, you know, your top 25 team uh, in the country. So kind of speak to that and how you've been able to sort of get the program back on track, if you will. I'll be honest with you. You know, it, it was really uh, a couple of things. One, we had some years there where we just had um, multiple injuries at the same positions. Um, you know, I would lose, you know, two and three point guards in, in the same year or, or, you know, two or three post players in the same year. And, but, and so and you can't control that. Um, but the other thing that I think I did a poor job of is I, I didn't recruit character enough and, and look at the character. You know, I, I was blessed. I got in there and uh, inherited a, a group of guys and tried to blend them with my guys and built a program and built a family and built a, uh, a, a team bond and then we rode that for several years you know till 2010 and 11 uh, and even a couple years after that and then you know I felt like I didn't do a good enough job of recruiting character and making sure that that kid was going to fit into our locker room and was going to blend with what we have there and you know I felt like you know the, the team chemistry just happens um, and then you know the, as you said the lean years proved to me that it doesn't just happen and, and so here recently you know we've really you know kind of looked at the character of a kid uh, as much if not more than the talent of the kid um, to make sure that he's going to blend in with the the, the, the the players that we've already got in the program and I told our guys today at practice I mean we went to the Virgin Islands and I, I we just had an absolute blast I mean we went out on a boat and did some snorkeling and uh, there was 40 people total on that boat. 21 of them was us. And by the time the boat ride was over, our players had everybody on that boat dancing and having a blast. And so we just got a really good close-knit group of guys that have bought in right now, and um, they're just a joy to coach. Last thought, and I think what's interesting is you <clears throat> became the head coach uh, at your alma mater uh, maybe a little bit more than 10 years after you uh, after you graduated. So what does that mean? I mean, it's 24 seasons. That's a, that's a good amount of time. But what does it mean to be having this success and to have had this success, 400 
wins as a collegiate coach uh, at uh, your alma mater. Yeah, yeah, I've been blessed, man. I, I tell you what, from from the administrations and, and the, the ads that I've had, Bryce Castro was the ad when I got hired, um, and uh, Dr. Carter, Hazel Carter was the president at the time, um, and then. After that, a guy by the name of Bob Parker took over as the athletic director, and, and then Sean Lloyd, and, and now we have um, Nate Burton and our president, Eric Cage. Um, you know, the, the, the support that I get from the, our administration and have got has just been tremendous. And, you know, I, I in our great years there when we were really running, we had, a, you know, I had a few inquiries about, you know, moving on and maybe go to a lower division one, but I was so happy here that, and my family was from here, and, and my wife's family was from here, and I, we had a young family. I, I just, you know, I didn't really entertain that. I wanted to stay here. I wanted to, you know, you see coaches jump around all the time, and uh, I wanted to have the stability and, uh, you know, be able to, to, to really put your mark on a program for an extended period of time. It's one thing to go in and win it, and we did that. And like you say, then we had some lean years, and now I'm really hungry to go back and win it again and get back to the top. And and so that's what we're striving for. I've been preaching to our guys this year, all year, it's the next step, the next step. We've been in the NCAA tournament uh, six times, and, and we're 5-1 and one in the first round. We've only been beat once in the first round, but we're 0-5 in the second round. And, you know, even last year we were up 15 in the second half against Cal PA, but we ended up losing it. So I've been preaching to our guys next step next step we've got to take the next step with this program and and advance past the second round in the ncaa's win an mec uh conference title uh and another thing that i i got to throw out there because i'm really proud of this this fall semester uh our team and i really challenged our guys uh, we've never had a 3.0 gpa or higher as a team this year we had a 3.1 so this team has been really special and it's uh it's been a, a, a great group to coach uh, I love West Virginia State. I love the history. I love the HBCU atmosphere. I love the legacy of Earl Lloyd. It's so easy to sell. Uh, our arena and our facilities are top-notch. Um, so I really, you know, I, I, I can't see myself coaching anywhere else but the black and gold. Mm. Brian Poor, again, 24 seasons as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State. He's got 400 collegiate Victories on Saturday. The Yellow Jackets going to be at West Virginia Wesleyan College. And uh, 12-1 and one on the season, ranked 16th in the country. Coach Poor, always enjoy talking with you. Thank you for being so candid. Continued success to you and the Yellow Jackets. Absolutely. Thanks to me, and I always enjoy being on your show. Up next here on Box to Row, we're talking soccer with ESPN's Alexis Nunez. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. That's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a requirement. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all. And 
and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. <laughs> you get to it. Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, uh, Black College. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Winston-Salem State, I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. He called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. You know, football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a... A big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was playing for Coach Day. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that, and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one, is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment.
Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real. Relevant. Radio. Let's continue here on the program. We're joined by a young lady. As a matter of fact, you've seen her more recently, especially with the World Cup. And Alexis Nunez, soccer host and reporter on ESPN. She's the co-host of ESPN FC, doing some really big things as she joins us here on the program. Happy New Year to you, Alexis. Happy New Year. I keep forgetting that we're um, into January already. It's a whole new year. I was still writing 2022, but bring it on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you. How, how was Christmas? How was the holidays? Honestly, uh, Christmas was, I mean, I spent it away from home. For those that don't know, I'm from Jamaica. So, but I do live in London um, for work naturally. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go home for a warm Christmas. I literally landed from Qatar um, covering the World Cup three days before Christmas. And then I had to do two uh, Carabao Cup, which is a League Cup over here, um, matches. And then I came back literally just in time for Christmas Eve and Christmas. And I spent it at home in my house with one of my best friends who's from Canada. Um, we just had a little cozy um, Christmas with my dog. We cooked and and that was it. No, no big thing this time of year. I was literally just looking forward to some rest after, you know, six weeks in Doha. I'm telling you, you, I mean, you've got a super busy schedule now. Now see on your Instagram page, it also mentions food. So you're, you're a foodie, right? So what, what, what did you cook for Christmas? What was for Christmas dinner? I am a mad foodie. I love to cook. You know, my father taught me how to cook. He loved to cook as well. You know, you have to cook with love. And, um, so this time around, obviously like here in the UK, a lot of people eat, I think maybe similarly to some parts of the U S probably eat a lot of Turkey, um, roast potatoes and stuff. But then in Jamaica, we have a completely different spread. Um, so I made like stew chicken, Jamaican brown stew chicken. We, for Christmas for us in Jamaica, we tend, everybody knows that Jamaicans eat rice and peas, but for Christmas and special occasions, we bring out rice and gungo peas, which is kind of, it's similar, I would say to pigeon peas. Um, and you know, you cook that down with the coconut milk and all of the seasonings and whatnot. And when I came, when I came back uh, from Qatar to London, I was like, I just feel for a taste of home. Like it's not Christmas. If I don't have rice and gungo peas, and I don't have some sort of like Jamaican style chicken. So I made the rice and gunga peas. Um, and I made uh, the brown stew chicken as well. We are, my friend from Canada made a salad and, and some other nice bits. So we had a little Jamaican Canadian Christmas in London. <laughs> <laughs> you, y'all had the whole everything going on uh, yeah. right there. So your thoughts overall. I want to get your thoughts overall on the World Cup and as a whole. And in the way Qatar hosted the World Cup, I mean, so for starters, that was my first World Cup that I've actually um, worked in person on location. The last one um, I did from our studios in Bristol, Connecticut, um, at ESPN. So this one, I mean, I don't really have any other one to compare it to, but I think, and many people say this was probably the best World Cup we've seen in terms of how it was done. And we know that Qatar is in a special state is the richest country in the world so they're able to afford certain luxuries i mean the stadiums are just next level you know i remember sitting in a couple of the stadiums 
and, and feeling the air conditioning on each seat. Each seat at the bottom had air conditioning. It was just amazing, retractable roofs, designs that, you know, I feel belong maybe 50 years in the future, but here they were, you know, because money was not an issue when they were building them. But I think one of the main things too that everybody, of course, was kicking up a fuss about because in the Western world, when we're used to going to sporting events, we're used to having a drink or two. But of course, in the Middle East, that's not part of their culture. It's not part of their religion. And last minute, they they had said, look, we're not going to be having any alcohol in the stadiums. And a lot of people were upset because of that. But in the end, it's the first time that I have gone to a football match and genuinely just felt such a wholesome atmosphere, like true patriotism, um, peace, you know, that there weren't um, a lot of unsavory moments. Of course, a couple of, you know, footballing nations have certain chants that are usually politically aligned or whatnot. Um, so every now and again, you did hear those. But for the most part, I mean, as a woman covering football, and trust me, I've been doing this for like a decade now, uh, standing outside of grounds or walking through the stands can be quite intimidating. You know, men will hurl whatever they can at you um, if they know who you are, just just because they know you're on camera, I always say that when people see a camera and camera light, it just, it makes them do silly things sometimes. But for the most part, even standing outside all of the stadiums in Doha, I felt unbelievably safe. The fans were amazing and it was so good because it's a World Cup, you want to interact with the fans. It's such a special feeling to know that people from all over the world have made this journey here just to celebrate the beautiful game that we love, just to celebrate their country, just to support their country. And and it was such a peaceful, wonderful hosting um, of the World Cup. And that was just off the pitch. On the pitch in terms of the drama, the excitement, the quality that was thrown out there. Um, I think that that was definitely one of the most, if not the most entertaining World Cup I know I have definitely seen. So, and I know I'm quite young, but still it was just unbelievable. There were very rare, I suppose, heavy one-sided games. Of course, there were a couple at Brazil with South Korea. But then look, the next match, Brazil were dumped out. It was nobody could predict anything. So for me, it was an unforgettable experience. As somebody that um, wants to enter football, if you're just a fan of football or a journalist in football, I mean, you're the creme de la creme is to cover a World Cup. And to say that I did such an interesting one, which was the first one in the Middle East, first one in an Arabic country, um, it definitely will forever stay with me. Alexis Nunez, soccer host and reporter on ESPN. You can check her out as one of the co-hosts of ESPN FC as she joins us here on the program. So Argentina wins it. Lionel Messi. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a big, I mean, I'll, I'll watch around the World Cup, you know, follow the U.S. throughout the course uh, of whatever season, although it had been some challenging times until this year, of course, where the U.S. sort of came back a little bit. But your thoughts on, Argentina winning it and Lionel Messi getting that World Cup, one of the greatest players to ever play. Uh, it was it was written in the stars, honestly. I think it was um, the, I guess we could say, I mean, unless you're France, if you're a French fan or a Frenchman or a French woman, definitely cover your ears now. But I think it was <laughs> the perfect ending to a World Cup. I mean, I, I remember saying it before that you don't need to be a fan of football um, or soccer or Argentina or even Leo Messi to want to see him win a World Cup because he's one of the greatest names to have ever played this sport. You know, whether you're a fan of the game or not, you know who he is. You have heard, you know, similarly for, 
for me, I'm, I mean, I lived four years in the US and I don't really know that much about NFL. I didn't get to catch on to it. But when I hear Tom Brady, I expect him to, to be in the Super Bowl every year, you know? And I, one of the greatest to ever play this game. They constantly mention his age. He's still out there. And you always want to see the greatest winning on the greatest stage. And this is the greatest show on earth, the World Cup. And it's the one thing that Leo Messi was missing. We mentioned him in the same breath as Pele, as Maradona. And the one thing that everyone said is like, yes, he's amazing, but this is what he's missing. I mean, the man retired, came out of retirement to help his country win the Copa America. He has been the scapegoat and carried that team and his country on his back so many years. And and still, we were thinking that this is Messi that's going to retire without the greatest prize in the sport. And even though I still don't think you know, it would have affected him that much. At the end of the day, he could have retired without the World Cup and we would still know that this is Leo Messi, one of the greatest to ever play the game, period. And in many people's eyes, the greatest. But the fact that he was able to do it and the fact that he played such a crucial role were it not for him and his contributions, especially in Argentina's earlier games where they were literally just looking to him for some messy magic. And that's exactly what he did time and time again. He is more than deserving of it. And I think it just was the fairy tale ending that everybody, um, apart from France probably, was hoping for. But that's because France are the defending champions. We saw Kylian Mbappe as well, who is like the heir apparent to the Messi and Ronaldo era. He absolutely did everything. It's It still baffles me as to how amazing this young man is in terms of Mbappe. But look, he's already won a World Cup as a teenager, something that only Pele has done. Um, and I think he's got a couple, maybe two, three, maybe even four, who knows, more World Cups left in him. So I think this was Messi's time. It was written in the stars and it was a fairy tale ending that um, so many of us wanted to see. Very well said. And I think, you know, when you look at it from the U.S. perspective, so, I mean, you go back some years, I mean, it, you know, it, was, it, it, it just wasn't good for the U.S. men. Of course, the women are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, they're in the World Cup and so forth. And even it was dicey in the very beginning. So I want to mm-hmm. kind of get your thoughts on the way the U.S. performed as a whole in the World Cup. Do you know, all I have to say is the sport is is in good hands. Like we keep hearing about the golden generation of the U.S. men's national team. And this is exactly what it is. And, you know, I know um, a couple of the players quite well, like Tyler Adams, who, oh, name me a better captain. Amazing, amazing, just human being you know Yunus Musa as well you have Christian Pulisic there too goalkeeper in Matt Turner um I've spoken to a lot of them time and time again this year especially as I've been covering um you know the the CONCACAF qualifiers that the U.S. were in of course then they did a couple of friendlies before the World Cup itself so I got to pick their brains on it and I know they hate being called the golden generation they feel it does invite unnecessary pressure but I think they definitely should look at it as as a good thing you know, unnecessary pressure. Yes, it comes, which is why everyone needs to kind of slow their roll a bit, give them time. Remember, this was one of, if not the youngest team on average at the World Cup. You have Tyler Adams, who was the captain at 23 years old, leading your country in a World Cup. That is unbelievable, you know, and, and he did it so well. And I think that for the U.S., the expectations went in because of this gen- golden generation. I remember doing that match. Uh, that they eventually got knocked out and against the Netherlands. And I had to speak to some Dutch fans outside and I asked them, what do they feel about this match today? Are they feeling good about the Netherlands? Because the Netherlands hadn't really impressed that much in their group stages. And they said they were actually nervous for the first time 
they were nervous whenever they hear this U.S. men's national team because uh, one of them told me, you know, in the past, I could probably name Landon Donovan, Tim Howard. He's like, now I, I know the entire starting 11 and I know which clubs they play in around Europe. I know exactly what they've won. They've got a Champions League winner in Christian Pulisic. This U.S. men's national team crop of players strikes fear in other teams now. You know, they are a force to be reckoned with and I think that the bar was set so high. Do I feel like they coulda, woulda, shoulda made it at least one step further, maybe to the quarterfinals? Yes, of course. But then other teams like Brazil should have definitely probably made it to the final. You know, it was such a crazy, unpredictable World Cup. And I think with this U.S. national team, it's it's definitely in good hands. I think definitely give them time. Um, they are still finding their way. You know, there's questions as to whether Greg Berhalter is the right leader for them as well. That, of course, um, I suppose time will tell in terms of the style they want to play. I compare it a lot to, to what we see here in England. It's like having, you know, a garage filled with Ferraris, Maseratis, Bentleys, and then choosing to, to drive a minivan, you know, and that's the way that they play. Sometimes Fans don't like how they play too cautiously because they've got pace, they've got physicality, they've got intelligence on the ball as well. They're just missing a little bit in the final third in terms of a consistent goal scorer, like a Leo Messi, you know, or like an Mbappe, a man that, you know, once they touch the ball, that ball's going in. <clears throat> but other than that, I think it's all positivity for this U.S. men's national team for sure. Just give them a bit more time and, and they're definitely, definitely already a force to be reckoned with in the world of football. Talking soccer with ESPN soccer analyst Alexis Nunez here on the program. More with Alexis on the other side. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's Salt Box. Sam's Bottle Shop and Bull McCabe's and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low we can't publish them anywhere. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. Call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. 800-303-3398. 800-303-3398. That's 800-303-3398. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. Alexis Nunez, soccer host and reporter on ESPN. Check her out on ESPN FC. She also covers cricket, which we'll talk about a little bit. She joins us here on the program. You mentioned Pele, and, and he passed away, of course, um, on last week, uh, you, you mentioned Messi. I mean, I, 
whenever I thought about soccer kind of coming up and so forth, it was it was Pele. So y- your thoughts on on his legacy? Yeah, I mean, I I I do this. I have a career because everybody in Jamaica supports a second team because unfortunately in Jamaica we only made it to one World Cup. That was the World Cup in '98, and I was so young then that. Um, I remember it, but I couldn't really take it in now. But before that, everybody in Jamaica loves Brazil. You know, my dad used to sit me down to watch Brazil matches. He was like, watch this. This is real football, the Joga Bonito, you know. And and for my generation, too, it was coming off of the likes of Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Cafu, etc. Legends, too. But for my dad, it was always, of course, Pele. You know, everybody, much like I said, Messi, you don't even have to be a fan of the game, but everybody in the world knows who Pele is. He, you know, forever for me, if I had to choose a goat, he would be because the man won three World Cups. I don't know how we're going to see it again. Probably with Mbappe, with what I just said, you know, he came very close to winning two right now. But Pele for me is definitely the goat. What he did, not just his natural skill, but what he did just for the game. You know, he was one of the first to, to, to go over and be a pioneer and play football in the United States as well to, to bring those eyes there and... He had just such a presence um, and true love for the game that I don't know, you know, when we probably will see again. But for me, Pele is what made uh, me definitely fall in love with football. And I think he's someone that supersedes and surpasses all generations. It doesn't matter what age you are. You definitely know Pele. You know what he did and you know what he means uh, to the game. Yeah, probably the first goat when you're talking about sports, Yeah, you know, really of all time. Uh, Alexis Nunez joining us on the program. A couple of more thoughts. We really do appreciate the time. Um, Hosting Somos Afro-Latinos. So Mm -hmm. tell us about that and why that was important to you. It was a big deal and why it was important to you. Yeah, actually it was was one of our, it was probably one of my most favorite pieces of work or I think that we're most proud of definitely at ESPN. I don't know if you can see right there but we actually won an award uh for it oh, um good. award for it yeah it was honestly an amazing thing an amazing idea too because i think it just truly for example growing up in jamaica i've never ever our motto is out of many one people we understand that um you know we're we're, we're so heavily mixed of different cultures because of our history. And it was literally only when I moved to the US when I got the job at ESPN that I felt the need to explain to people what I am. You know, because some would say, oh, but you don't really look Jamaican. And I said, well, Jamaican is a nationality. It's not a race, you know, and and we're mixed. And I would turn to them and I say, what does an American look like? Or what should an American look like? And then they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Exactly, (laughs) because what is one? And I find, I am, of course, Jamaican. My mother's family is from El Salvador. So I'm like Latin, which is Afro-Latina too, because then people, when they think Latin, they think J-Lo, you know, only. They don't forget the the massive Afro community that is there. I mean, like I said, look at the World Cup, look at Ecuador. They are 90%, you know, black players there. Colombia as well has, has quite a few, majority of them do, especially in Central America. <clears throat> and many people didn't know of the phrase Afro-Latino. And so many of them, you know, look at, um, you know, now celebrities like Cardi B and then they go, well, is she black or is she Latina? And you could literally be both. And that is so much of the U.S. to be Afro-Latina. And I remember we got to speak to so many athletes from baseball players to track and field athletes to surfers from 
all different parts of Latin America as well, straight from who are living in the U.S. down to South America, like Venezuela, as well as Uruguay and Peru. And people were like, wow, I didn't even know that Uruguay had black people or I didn't know that Peru had black people. And they themselves said, I didn't know what to identify as until now as an adult. And I've heard the phrase Afro-Latina. And now I confidently say that. I confidently and when you say that, you know, it, it finally gives us, or people like me who are mixed with both Black as well as Latin, it gives us the identity I feel like so many people have wanted, you know? And and like I said, everyone wants to just feel like they belong. And it is such a horrendous question, I feel, when people go, what are you? Because it makes you feel like you already just are not meant to be there, you know? And now when you say Afro-Latina or Afro-Latino, it's you start to see them go oh okay all right yeah that 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 works i understand that you know and then they start to see the beautiful mix that is all around the us as well as the rest of the world too so we got to do that we got to hear their stories some were horrendous stories as you can imagine their constant battles with racism and and you know trying to prove that they do belong here at this highest level in sports despite um, being Afro-Latina in the countries that maybe don't have a high population of, of Afro people. And it was just unreal to hear, you know, what they've achieved um, since then, all the awards, you know, you had World Series winners there that we got to speak to because, of course, we know that baseball in the U.S. is so heavily dominated by Puerto Ricans or Dominicans as well, a lot of from Venezuela too. Um, and it was just, we just wanted to have a round table and it was amazing to know that here we are from different parts of the world, um, but we all seem to have been struggling with and going through the same experiences. And now um, that we had this, that we had this platform to talk about it. So it was actually, um, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of. Very important work and, and definitely very well said. And thank you for explaining uh, that too. That is really cool with, from all of the sports uh, around the world. Absolutely. Last thought for Alexis Nunez, and we appreciate the time. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, again, not really watching soccer a lot, but the coverage of the World Cup, I saw you for the first time, and, and it was great because even in some of the coverage that I've seen in soccer, I've never seen a black woman, right? And, and you just jumped out. So what does it mean to you to be sort of a trailblazer, right? Where other maybe young girls that look like you can kind of see that, hey, this is something I can do in the future. Honestly, when we do um, those sports center hits, and I know it's going out to, to domestic, which is of course the US audience, which is primarily NBA, NFL, MLB kind of viewers. Um, the response that I get after is actually a lot like that. People said, oh, wow, I've." I've never seen you around these parts, you know, you kind of make me want to like listen and, and tune into soccer now. And that makes me feel honestly so good because like you said, I feel, I still don't even feel like a trailblazer, you know, but I remember growing up um, in the Caribbean. Um, I, people always ask me who my idols were and they all were men, you know, they all were men because I never saw a woman doing what I do, especially on local television in the Caribbean. Um, and it was, it, it is kind of sad too, that even now it's been like probably 10 years or so um, since I graduated and started working professionally. And then now I've been at ESPN for eight years. Um, there's still not 
that many, if any, you know, especially when I look back at the Caribbean, of course the US is is bigger, so I do see more, but it still is such a niche thing, I I would say, you know? I mean, I do the show as well, and 90% of our analysts and pundits are are men. You know, the other day, at least for ESPN, while we were in the World Cup for ESPN Sports Center Mexico, since I speak Spanish as well, we had a round table where we did on Sports Center and it was only women. And it was one of the most amazing things, I think, to be a part of that we were there for 20 minutes, just talking about the games, analyzing the games, looking forward to the next games. And it was just all women, you know, there was myself, there was someone from Venezuela, from Mexico, one from Costa Rica, one from Argentina. And it was just like, everyone was like, whoa, what is this going on here? But it truly, I mean, if I just had to say something, it definitely does make me feel proud that people can look at us and see this because now that I've been here and now that I've been doing this at least eight years at ESPN, there is such a place for us, you know, at, at least with the boys that I work with too, they've never made me feel that I don't deserve to be there because I'm a girl. If anything, they go twice as hard on me. <laughs> you know, when we have the banter, they definitely throw me into the, into the deep end all the time. And I remember one time um, someone wrote on Twitter to our FC show, uh, talking about Craig Burley, who's um, my one of our analysts as well, former Scotland international. And they said, oh, next time, don't go so hard on Alexis. Like, you know, be more of a gentleman. And he wrote back and said, why? I go hard on her because I know she can handle it. And and I absolutely loved that, you know, because we're not asking for special treatment or this. We're here because we feel like we could run with the big dogs, you know, and, and there is a place for us. There's a place for more of us as well. I hate that people think that every show needs the token woman or the token black woman or the token Latina woman. No, I would love that the fact that we got to have five Latina women and one Afro Latina on Sports Center Mexico the other day, and it went down very well. And we were intelligently talking about football. And as I jokingly said after, no kitchens were blown up, babies were still fed, diapers were still changed. So people don't have to be like, oh, get back to your chores. I was like, the world is still turning. It can be done. And there's so many more spots for, for me, for people like me um, on the same table. We all can eat at the big Thanksgiving table. And that's exactly what I would like to see uh, more of. But it definitely makes me feel very special. And it basically is a dream come true to hear um, that people notice and that it inspires them to even try to do the same. Absolutely. Very well said. A woman of many talents, Alexis Nunez, again, co-host of ESPN FC. You can check her out on ESPN, not only soccer, but cricket as well. Follow her on social media as she joins us here on the program. Alexis, really appreciate the time. Thank you for doing this continued success in all you do. Thank you so much for having me. Alexis Nunez joining us here on the program. Had a lot of interesting things to say. And if you missed this conversation or you want to hear it again, it'll be up on our website on next week at BoxToRow.com. Also uh, be able to watch this conversation on our YouTube page. It's going to be up next week on the Box to Row YouTube page. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Alexis Nunez. Thank you to Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State, for joining us today on the program. 
For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support Yo, Box to Row is produced by DW Communications. 